The trees are in bud, dripping with blossom. The bird song is filling the air. New shoots of green. Chivers. And I'm Becky Searle. And this is The Seed Pod. This podcast was made in association with Dalefoot Composts. Using bracken and sheep's wool from the Lakeland Fells, Dalefoot Composts create the UK's premium growing mediums that are peat-free and organic for gardeners everywhere. So Becky, can you actually believe that we are now on episode six of the Seed Pod podcast? I know, it's so <laughs> exciting, isn't it? <laughs> and let's remind people, over the last five episodes, we've learned about organic principles, the value of seeds, the delights and dangers of spring, why fertilizer does more harm to our soil than good, and why it's so important that we just don't use peat. Yeah, but what we want to do today is something a little bit different. That's right. I'm I'm actually quite excited by this because we're in May now and really this is a month where the whole dynamic of the garden and our allotments is shifting again. You know, this these we see these patterns of state these stages over the course of a year of how things change and May is just another stage where things change. That's right. I mean, where I am in Devon and where you are in Cardiff, our last frost dates are around the middle of this month. So we're busy sowing and we can now sow those fast growing things that aren't frost hardy, like squashes, beans and sweet corn. And it's really exciting. It it feels like it was only the other day that we were talking about being into spring and that being exciting because the light levels were increasing and the temperatures were increasing. But now things are changing all over again. And the difference is that frost date and that is the threshold, really. Yeah, that's really important. And and I think that's one of the most exciting things about May for, for, for me and, and, and like you say, for you, um, where you are in the UK, is it is about frost. And and I think once that frost state is passed and or, you know, the danger of frost has passed, it just opens up more possibilities and flexibility in terms of what we can sow and what we can plant out. I get it making that room in our greenhouses which are starting to to build up with with little seedlings and stuff and uh shifting things from our indoor window cells back outside into the outside greenhouses it just opens up our options a little bit and gives us a little bit more freedom a little bit more breathing space as well yeah that's right i feel like i've been playing one giant game of tetris in my greenhouse <laughs> trying to trying to figure out which things fit in like which pots fit around other pots and things like that so that I can fit everything in because it's getting really really busy in there and I've got a tiny little greenhouse this year that I'm trying to fill a 90 foot polytunnel an allotment a permaculture (laughs) garden and my back garden from so I'm getting yeah it's getting to the point now where everything's kind of needs to go out um but that's fine because I've managed to um think about this in advance and not sow anything too early so I'm not struggling with really really big plants so that's really helped me and this time of year it can get really busy with all the things that you've got to prick out and pot on and pot up and all that kind of stuff and sometimes it can be really stressful as well especially if we've got bigger plants to look after and the key for this time of year is really managing your time and I think working in a way that is smart rather than working hard. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And look, we, we've we been gardening for a while, a few years now, and I've had, a, you know, the years I've had an allotment, it, it builds up a level of experience and about your own locality and about plants and their needs and stuff. But it took me a while, actually, um, be, to actually get into a sort of a balance with my sowing and my planting schedule. And there's a couple of problems, isn't it? I I completely get it that when we come out of winter, <laughs> those itchy fingers, those itchy sewing fingers are, are are really sort of like 
going and you know we're thumbing through seed seed packets we want to get out of that long dark cold spell um you know the festivities of winter are over and we we want to do something that we're passionate about that we enjoy and we want to get sewing and it's so easy to fall into a little bit of a trap where you just want to throw everything into pots and uh, and into the soil and start sewing things and you get a bit of a short-term sort of a sense of gratification from that because you know if especially as we've talked about you can raise anything and germinate anything on a heat mat indoors the problem is is when it's germinated and you've got all these plants shooting up and you're thinking what the hell do i do with them now i'm running out of space um, i'm trying to move things around you're playing the tetris game like you said and things get lost and it's not good for our mental well-being either. It's really stressful if you put yourself in that position where you've just gone crazy at the beginning of the year and you've got all these things building up. And it took me a while to actually find a way where um, there was more, there was a slower pace. Into, this is this is the important bit. There was a slower pace and a slower timing to the things that I was sowing. And there was much more balance in terms of me managing the plants I was growing I mentioned previously I only have one indoor window so that I can possibly use to sow from and grow things on indoors so that that puts a limit on me anyway but it's taken some time and uh, with with a lot of resources and a bit of experience you get to know certain plants grow better and are a better sown at certain points of the ta- uh, points of the year and some plants you just need to hold back on and it's it's really important yeah I definitely agree and I think um, like you said it comes with experience but at this time of year if there is anything that you're looking at your greenhouse you're looking at in your greenhouse or on your windowsill and thinking ah yeah I probably did go a little bit early on that because I'm struggling with it now's the time to take a note of that Mm. and to apply what you've learnt experience to next year and gardening is so much about experience because it's so different depending on what you're growing where you're growing it what kind of conditions you're growing it even locally you know are you using a polytunnel are you using a greenhouse all that kind of stuff so it really comes down to experience but if you can start making notes on those experiences and actually learning from your own experiences then that starts to speed up your learning quite quite significantly and like you said when you get into May you start to realize just what a level of of challenge you've set yourself really earlier on in the year and I think if you've managed it well by May you should be really enjoying yourself if you've not managed it so well by May you're starting to panic a little bit so that's when you can start taking notes and and hopefully get it a little bit more accurate next year yeah it's about balance as well and 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 also the 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 changes year on year I mean I was looking at some of my old photographs of last year of what I was sowing and growing and I'd done different things I mean this time in 2020 we were in a heat wave in much of the country and in 2021 we're in April and we've the temperatures have just been so cold for pretty much much of the month. You know, we've we've seen not not that many weeks ago, people further up in the north of the UK having snowfall again. Yeah, and even in Hampshire, there was snowfall. It's exactly. And I, I looked in my polytunnel uh, this afternoon, for example, and, you know, the temperatures are still fluctuating between really, really high in the daytime to... Um, significantly low temperatures even in early may you know they can still drop below freezing point um especially if you're um in you know frost patches like my allotment for example is quite open it means that it's going to be very different to my own garden which is only a quarter of a mile away yeah it's these and these are this is about learning isn't it like you said it's about gaining that experience and you can't buy experience and it's really 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 important that you just take notes, learn what's happened the previous year and, and, and be prepared as well. But I think really a lot of it's about slowing down because I think this, this, there's so much of a, an influence sometimes to drive you to sow seeds when spring starts, when that actually is. And we've talked about when spring starts previously. Nobody um, knows. A, <laughs> nobody knows. And it's, 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 it's a very sort of like broad 
so in period for for so many people and th- there's so many things that can happen that can have an influence on whether you've made the right decision of sewing at that point yeah i agree and i think um particularly with social media social media can be a huge influencer for want of a better word on <laughs> what we what we're sewing and growing um and some so much of that can be really really positive but some of it can be a little bit negative as well because what we do is we end up comparing ourselves to other people so somebody puts a picture of their beautifully big luscious looking cucumber for example and we go oh my goodness mine is still seeds in the packet (laughs) and it makes you panic even if you've got lots of experience you think have I missed the boat on this um and then you check your your watch and you go no actually I'm fine um but (laughs) it's really easy to compare yourself to other people especially online and what we need to understand is that it's all about individual appropriateness really it's about paying attention like we said in in our episode about spring to nature's cues and paying attention to where you are geographically and not comparing yourself to people who are say in the south of france if you're in scotland (laughs) because it just doesn't work because garden is supposed to be something that is enjoyable and something that reconnects us um hopefully with with nature and the benefits that can offer and i i do worry that if you focus too much on whether you should be sowing something or growing something because someone has done this on social media it can really well you lose that benefit for starters but yeah. it increases the stress levels uh, and and that, we just don't want to go down that road that's it I, it's more about sort of making sure that you're not trying to reach these unattainable levels that some people are able to get to because perhaps they have some super duper equipment or they have a really nice microclimate or something like that and we just need to take a step back from that and understand that plants work at nature pace which is slow and also understand that we've got a huge growing season ahead of us and it really doesn't matter if you're sowing things a little bit later even if you're sowing them a little bit later than you're supposed to be doing for your time um it it doesn't matter things will catch up and you just need to take a step back take a nice deep breath and don't let it overwhelm you because that's the kind of thing that puts people off gardening so we talked about uh experience and obviously that like i said you can't buy it you have to gain it um by spending time in your garden over a period of years and, and building up that knowledge about your own area and learning from um what you sowed previously and how it fared and and how you found yourself managing your time and and also as we've just said did you enjoy it or did it have a significant detrimental effect on your mental health and that we just don't want to go down that road (laughs) so if you (laughs) if you can't buy experience then the first point of call really especially if you're very new or experienced it doesn't matter is to use someone who's more experienced than you as a guiding point and we we mentioned Charles Dowden quite a lot because for the no dig purposes but Charles has been gardening for 40 years um he's just over the bridge from me in Cardiff in in Somerset so he's just north for, north of your your area in Devon and Charles has a fantastic timeline of sowing um points he has it in his diary he publishes it on his website even but he publishes in his diary on his calendar which is actually on the on the door behind me as I'm recording this and it's a really really brilliant resource to help you um, work out exactly what vegetables uh, you can sow in any month and some of them will be quite surprising I think to a lot of people when if you look at these kind of dates and you look at Charles's garden and the stuff that he's achieving and and the reason I say it's quite surprising is because I think so often we turn over the back of a seed packet and it gives us this <laughs> broad range of dates of when you can start sowing. And we frantically chuck them in pots at the earliest point that the seed packet says. And quite often it just doesn't really work out. Um, Charles has some fantastic dates in his calendars that have just been so helpful to me. I mean, I still use it now and I use his calendar every year. And what it's encouraged me to do is to actually 
slow down a hell of a lot with some of the crops maybe a few years ago I would have been sowing well in advance of May and now I'm enjoying sowing them in May after having a period of sowing better crops more suited for late winter and early spring planting them out I've just just recently planted out my brassica plants um, and then having that balance so it's it's really important and I think the point I'm trying to make is that Charles has this experience of 40 years he has a wonderful timeline I highly recommend it and what I think it also allows you to do is that because he's kind of in the middle of the country you can look at his um, his timeline and sort of say well I'm in Cornwall or in the southeast of England so maybe I can go a little bit earlier by a few weeks well, I'm well up in Yorkshire so I'm going to go a little bit, bit later it's a it's a it's an excellent marker it's a it's a starting point to, to take someone who has a lot of experience of growing vegetables and sort of really plan um your 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 sowing schedule for the year ahead yeah i agree i mean charles has been really helpful for me as well um just to i think it's almost just having that reminder of the fact that there isn't any rush um, and even with the benefit of having had the experience that I've had, it still helps to have somebody who's got more experience. And I have adjusted some of the times that I sew based on what Charles has recommended. And it has worked out really, really well for me, even though I do get sort of a little tiny bit of anxiety when I'm holding <laughs> off sometimes, you know, yeah. because um, like I said, you know, you're looking at other people's cucumber plants and you're thinking, yeah, mine is still seeds. <laughs> and it, it does, it makes you a little bit nervous. But even with with that experience, that happens, but you still need to just take a step back and go, no, it'll be fine. I know it'll be fine because I am under the guidance of somebody with really a lot of experience. Um, and that just gives you that that extra sort of reassurance, I think, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And I think also, we, you know, we said at the beginning of this episode that May is this transition period. Um, it's, a, it's that next step in the year where changes happen. And it, it, it there's definitely a certain feel about May. Um, and we need to touch on that because I think this links back to about our awareness of sowing earlier in the year and how things catch up in May. There's almost like, you know, the light levels are so much better now. We've we've got rid of the frost, hopefully. <laughs> and, and, and or not, the, depending and, on where you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and the temperatures are, are much more consistent both in the day and the night. And we talked previously about how this is how plants guide themselves. And there's been so many times where you, you can be as ex, uh, you know experienced as you, as you like. It, always, it still catches me out where I'll sow something early in the year and I'll sow it again maybe in May. And the later one just catches up and often outperforms the one that I've sown previously. And it's I fascinating, think that's, isn't it? Isn't that? And, that's, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure this is because of the conditions. This, we've talked previously about giving the best starting conditions to plants. And this is what I really think is it's about. And almost like May is like a magical month for, again, for much of us, um, because it offers so much more um, better environmental conditions for plants. Yeah, that's right. And um, from a sort of scientific point of view, I suppose, um, photosynthesis takes place with lots of molecules kind of crashing into other molecules. And that's how those those chemical reactions are taking place. Um, and when you have more heat, the molecules are moving faster. So those crashes take place at a faster rate. So what you get is even if the light levels remain the same, if the heat is up, you'll get more growth. And that's really key because in May, we are going to be experiencing more growth during the night because we're not getting those real dips in in the nighttime temperatures again and during the day the temperature is going to be higher as well so everything's starting to get warmer hopefully um <laughs> like like we said before this year is a slight exception because it's been extremely cold so we're keeping an eye on things but um but this is why plants are able to catch up 
And we, we might find that plants that were sown much earlier grew much, much slower, but are now at the point where it they are possibly getting a little bit root bound or something like that. And actually the ones that are sown later end up being the same size by sort of early June and and end up fruiting at the same time and everything. I, I, I agree. And I, just, I think it's something that people have to go through, especially there's been so many new gardeners in the last 12 months um, as, as a result of the pandemic. And I hope they stick around because, you know, there's such a fantastic thing to be a part of. And I hope they, 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 they're starting to already learn about this and experience it because it is something you have to go through and experience. Um, yeah, we do get it. We really do. It's, it's you know, we have to focus ourselves on, on not kind of getting overexcited and as Richard says shaking our seed packets too too excitably (laughs) (laughs) we just have to slow it down it accompanies me dancing around the kitchen by the way usually (laughs) just wanted to create that better better image there (laughs) as long as you're doing it in the kitchen and not the allotment (laughs) (laughs) I think if I could advise anyone any new person into gardening and you know, experiencing the stuff that we're talking about, the desire to start sowing something, get things growing and stuff, is that it, it's really important that you, you grasp what what plants you can grow appropriately. Because actually, if you, honestly, if you look at Charles Dowden's timeline, if you just, if you, if you actually just spend some time researching, you'll find, going back to what we said about sowing too early, before May, for example, there's so, there are, there are plenty of things that you can sow to sort of scratch that garden and itch a little bit. I just really want to emphasize the point is that the best thing you can do is to um, make sure you understand what, what, what plants can be sown at each part of the year. Charles's timeline is just perfect for doing that. And it, it really sort of will balance out that gardening it you really need after Christmas has passed and making sure you're sowing the plants at the, the, the appropriate stage uh, of the year. Really important. That's right. And I think on a, as a final note, um, also, we really want to start planting out this time of year. It, it's We start to get that itch all over again of wanting to plant things out simply because we're running out of space or because we want to see our garden starting to fill up. Um, but really, really be careful of that frost because it would be such a shame if we'd got to the, this point in the year, we'd raise all these beautiful little seedlings and then we put them out even a couple of days too early and they are hit by a frost and we lose them all. So please be careful. There are lots and lots of benefits, not only to our plants, but also to us, um, of sowing a little bit later and making sure that we're sowing at appropriate times and things like that. And that's going to be a theme, I think, going through the podcast, because it all comes down to good husbandry of plants as well. Um, And we get to look after ourselves a little bit more. But that's not the only benefit to sowing at an appropriate time, is it? It's not. And I think this is really... um an understated matter when it comes to sowing certain crops and stuff. And I only discovered this in recent years. But actually, if we delay um, some of the crops that we can sow until, say, May, things like squashes and beans and sweet corn and pumpkins, if we're not sowing those until late spring, you have basically four or five months, even six months before you plant out those crops after they germinate and grow up where you have space in your garden to get a whole feast of other crops which will grow suitably from maybe even from before winter that you've sown and you've grown over winter things like broad beans and and garlic and stuff and and even the stuff like uh purple spread and broccoli and stuff you know these are going to be taking up spaces into the spring but if you start in February, you can start things like lots of things like lettuces, so many varieties of lettuces and um, Asian brassicas and greens. And you've got things like radishes. These can be sown really early in the spring because you can just germinate them on a warm windowsill. 
you can as soon as they're up above the soil you can stick them outside in your in your little greenhouse with no protection really because they're pretty tolerant of cold and you can start sowing these into the early spring onto your allotments in your gardens and you will basically get a harvest of really good nutrients from your vegetables that can be suitably grown at that time of the year before you've even planted out your squashes your beans and the corn it's 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 about understanding this to make you aware that there's opportunity by delaying the sowings of some things as well that's right and because we know that um plants don't deplete the soil and that it's it's brilliant that we can grow as many plants in a patch of soil as we like and providing that we're doing it in an organic way um we're not digging the soil and we're not adding fertilizers we're going to be building up the soil which which is brilliant because we're getting two for the price of one on crops and we're building up our soil so it really is well worth it so think of it in terms of that opportunity because that does sweeten the deal quite substantially i think (laughs) but what are we actually sowing in our gardens or what have we recently sown in our gardens um that we're going to be growing on this month richard well actually i think a lot of people i'm 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 putting this out here but i think a lot of people will agree these are probably some of the most favorite crops that people can grow in their gardens and it's prime time for sowing them right now we're talking about squashes and pumpkins we're talking (laughs) we're talking about beans we're talking about sweet corn some of the most they're all so fab they are they they are the (laughs) i mean i there's all three of them are probably my favorite crops yeah, probably the stars ed- of the show. I'll probably edge towards squashes being my ultimate favourite, but beans are just class. They're just like one of the best value crops you can grow in your garden or in an allotment. Do you know, I'm a real sweet corn person myself. Corn, corn and sweet corn. I just love it. I mean, you should have seen my allotment last year. It was basically a cornfield. <laughs> you that, That's a lot of sweet corn, isn't it? Because... Um, I love sweet corn as well. And and I think unless you've grown it yourself and harvested it and literally pulled it off the plant and stuck it in a pot of boiling water there and then and eaten it straight away, you will not have tasted, tasted sweet corn like it. It's because of That's the tran- right. because of the transformation that happens in, in our crops when they're, they're grown and they're delayed before they get to the supermarkets and they get to our plates and stuff. There, there is really nothing quite like it. And sweet corn is exactly one of those uh, crops yeah. that actually proves the taste really is completely different. So in my house, the sweet corn gets grown in the garden because the trick is that we put the pan on the on the hob and get it to boil, bring it to boil and then go, right, just just leave that there for two seconds, run outside, grab a couple of sweet corn, throw them in the pan and try and make the harvest to pot as short as possible. Because what happens is that um, as soon as you... Um, harvest a sweet corn it starts to convert the sugars within the kernels into starch so you really really notice the difference and it's the same if you if it's a nice warm summer's day you've got a barbecue you literally fire up the barbecue and it's a brilliant party trick if you've got any friends over as well <laughs> just let me go and get the corn <laughs> yeah, and then and then you wade off into a, into a cornfield and and go and harvest your own <laughs> and then at the allotment i grow corn for um popping and for making corn flour as well yeah it again it, i you've just you've just highlighted something i was about to say is that like so many other things that we can grow in our gardens and allotments sweet corn the variety is just fantastic you know colors tastes sizes it's it's brilliant and really the, the you, you kind of can grow quite a few of them in a small bed in your in your back garden as well i mean they don't take a huge amount of space up that's right but we don't mix varieties <laughs> because sweet corn and um and popping corn things like glass gem corn mm. um hopi blue corn um fiesta corn all these fantastic varieties that are really really brilliant colors and all that kind of stuff um if we put them next to sweet corn then you do end up with some mixing and it it happens in that in the season within the season so you'll end up with sweet corn that's got some random blue kernels in it (laughs) and you'll end up with um glass gem corn that's got some beautiful bits of sweet corn in it so just make sure that they are separated if you're going to do that and and just put like a little bit of a windbreak in between them because they are wind pollinated 
so you just need to put them a little bit further away a couple of meters usually does it and then you're good to go <laughs> but like I said I do popping corn on the allotment and sweet corn at home because as close as I can get it to the pan basically that's the key <laughs> I think I think you should start like timing yourself and making a note and see if you get better each year. I wonder, I wonder, it's, it's, it, it's it's like that awful motoring program that's on TV where they time people go on the track. I think you could have like your own little sweet corn track in your back garden. <laughs> <laughs> the Becky's race to the pot. <laughs> Can we call it crop gear? Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Damn it, I wish I thought of that. <laughs> so, um, with regards to squashes, we don't need to worry so much about planting different varieties next to other things. So, last year, there was a bed in my garden, which we were kind of preparing and weren't really sure what we were going to do with this bed. And in the end, I took matters into my own hands, <laughs> went out there with about seven or eight squash plants and pumpkin plants and just planted them into this bed. And it, it got quite out of hand because these things spread like you wouldn't believe. So they did take up half of the lawn in the end, but we had a good amount of food from them. And like I said, you can have amazing varieties like Cheno crown of thorns right next to a tromboncino right next to a dills atlantic giant pumpkin it doesn't matter you can have them all thrown in together um but they just need a huge amount of space so don't plant them too close yeah i i think i, I said i said at the beginning of this 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 section was squash is probably one of my favorite crops to grow and i think there's a lot of people and i think also because when you when you get into growing your own vegetables you realize particularly with squash and pumpkins the varieties are brilliant i mean there is so many different kinds of varieties they Do just you have a favorite without it that's just really hard I, the, the thing is about squash and pumpkins because you just said like if you especially if you've got an allotment or a big garden you can grow a few big ones right you can grow you can grow a few um of the long vining ones that, that spread over the place you can't grow too many of them too many different varieties but you can grow a few each year but what's brilliant is that every year you find out a different variety or a, an old heritage variety that you haven't seen before and you you, you want to grow there's this continuous sort of like <laughs> discovery of squashes that are just available for you to grow it's Re almost like 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 the charts or something isn't it you've got like the squash charts and then every year you discover a new new entry at the charts and it pushes an old one out completely <laughs> I'm, I'm completely fickle when it comes to squash <laughs> <laughs> who isn't though who isn't and and honestly you know one squash plant can disappoint you one year some some years you get just for some reason nothing on one plant and or very little and then the next year, the same variety can do absolutely magnificently. Um, and it usually comes down to seedling management and how, how you manage that seedling in the very early stages. Um, but that can really make your mind up about whether you like something or not. So I had, I absolutely love tromboncinos. I think that they are really diverse um, in, in what you can use them for. They basically like courgettes if you pick them small and they're more like um, winter squashes if you leave them on the vine for a long time but in my garden last year I had one plant that had three runners from it each of about 20 or 30 foot long with a tromboncino every two foot <laughs> I had so many of these things you wouldn't believe but I really really like them thank goodness and I'm really excited about growing them again so yeah. yeah they're number one in my charts at the moment <laughs> I, I think that's the point I, I, although i don't i probably don't have a favorite i've grown i've grown a few over the years i mean going back to your point just then about some years you just have an exceptional crop of pumpkins and other years you don't didn't have a very good crop of pumpkins last year and i don't really know why again it's one of these what did i do wrong this time or what did i do differently this time to that i did to the year first year yeah. i grew pumpkins on my allotment that i've had which was about five five years ago now I had the best harvest of squash and pumpkins I've ever had. They, I, I did nothing. <laughs> they just, like, 
I was I had to use a wheelbarrow to deliver, uh, to to take him back to the car. Um and and going back to the favorite one I actually do recommend and it, it was one that I grew that year is a white pumpkin. When I say white pumpkin it's a it's a big, you know, well big medium size uh squash. It's got a pale sort of like bluey white skin and it's got this beautiful huge amounts of orange flesh on the inside it's it's called old boar white or flat white it's a i think it's a south african heritage variety um it is absolutely brilliant i would recommend anyone in fact i'm growing it again this year and i haven't grown it for a couple of years but i'm growing it again this year and i'm excited because i'm hoping <laughs> i'm gonna have the same harvest i did five years ago when i grew it for the first time on the allotment here's hoping and i think let's go back to what we said about about seedling management with squashes in particular squashes are one of those things that you plant in the ground they can they can um germinate within days and they start growing immediately and they are enormous plants pumpkins um you know they can they can take up easily 20 square foot just one plant um you do not want that in your greenhouse (laughs) no and i think that's exactly the point is why may is a really good time to sow things like squashes because it's warm and it's consistently warm temperatures and like you said they grow really really quickly and before you know it they are jumping out of the pot that you've sown them in they need another pot and you can imagine if you sowed that two months ago for example they're, they're not frost tolerant you've got nothing you can do with that plant you you have to manage it under protection and it becomes really really difficult if you sow too early yeah and we've talked about this before we want to raise strong healthy seedlings right and actually because because we can sow these things a little bit later and then instead of having to do loads of work potting them up we can just put them straight out and let them crack on um and actually the other benefit from getting these strong healthy seedlings is pest resistance if we've got plants that are that have a nice healthy root system and nice healthy growth on them as well and they haven't been um been made to sort of stay in a pot that is maybe slightly too small for them and they haven't had their growth restricted in any way they're going to be a lot less subject um susceptible to um things like powdery mildew and even even slugs and things like that because the growth is going to be very consistent very strong and they will be able to fight those things off naturally just by being strong plants it's, it's really like us humans is that we know ourselves that if we are healthy, if we're in good condition, if we are, if we've looked after ourselves and we've, we've got, you know, the right nutrients in us and we, we're in a healthy state of place, we're more likely to resist things like um, diseases and illnesses and stuff. It's exactly the same. That's right. And we talked last, um, in the last, sorry, two episodes ago about how plants get their nutrients and when we understand that how plants get their nutrients from the soil we understand how important it is to try and get them out into the soil as soon as possible and with with big things like squashes also with beans corn pumpkins the sooner we can we can have them outside in the ground and able to access those nutrients and that beautiful soil food web which will look after them for us if we can minimize the amount of time that we are interfering because we don't really know what we're talking about even if we've got 50 60 years of experience and we still don't know what we're talking about compared with the soil food web if if we can minimize the amount of time between sowing and putting them out then that is what we need to be trying to do absolutely yeah can agree more before we go on from squashes we mentioned a couple of varieties there but and I just want to go back to the point you said about, you know, they do take up a lot of space and they do. And if you've got the benefit of having an allotment or a large garden, it's excellent. You can you can really go to town and let them run a mock around the <laughs> around the garden and, and they will and they w- really will. Um, but what I want to say is that I've, I've, there's there's um, a small a couple of small. There's quite a few small varieties on the, on the available. Um, some of them are hybrids. I, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head if there's any open pollinated ones I can think of, but. I do want to recommend one. If you've got a small garden, even a large pot, there are some small varieties of squashes and pumpkins which are brilliant. 
and I will recommend one. It is an F1 hybrid, so you will not be able to save seed, um, but it's it's worth growing if you haven't got space. It's called Orangita. It's uh, a compact plant when it grows. Um, they produce these really beautiful, cute-looking little mini pumpkins, which are orange. They're very sweet. They taste delicious, and you can get about seven or eight on each plant. And interestingly as well, if you look after it and you and you grow it in the right conditions, it's really, really quick. You can even be harvesting these 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 uh, fruit, these mini pumpkins from late August in, in a good summer. Yeah, they they sound really, really fabulous. I'm going to have to add them to my list, see whether they make it into the charts. <laughs> it's your ever, ever increasing list. <laughs> I'm a real fan, actually, of um, summer squashes. So um, things like courgettes and stuff as well. Yeah, and you can literally just put them in the ground and walk away and come back and fill your boots with as many courgettes as you possibly can carry and um, and keep going like that. They're so low maintenance. And also, from the point of view of somebody who likes to have a pretty garden, um, I like things to look nice courgettes have these fantastic great big structural leaves that look really tropical and they just are such fantastic looking plants and i really i really do think that you shouldn't have a vegetable patch without courgettes and they're just fantastic they really are (laughs) and we all know we get to the end of the year and we're all sick of courgettes because they really do produce quite a lot of fruit um and yes i just said fruit because they are fruits um but they are really fantastic and you know at the end of the day if you've got too many courgettes to eat who wouldn't like being handed a courgette (laughs) when you go round and visit them bring them to your friends give them to the school mums (laughs) make friends (laughs) have a a courgette (laughs) maybe this is why I don't have any friends (laughs) because you keep handing out courgettes give them to strangers it's because I keep I put them in my pocket (laughs) (laughs) is that a courgette in your pocket (laughs) or are you pleased to see me (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, beans. <laughs> yeah, we should probably talk about beans. I mean, beans, beans are definitely are something um, you, you can sow in May because they are super fast and they are, again, just such a favourite crop to grow. Again, the varieties, but also beans, just value for money in terms of yield and what you get. They are just incredible plants. So I'm sowing these in May. They again will grow really, really quickly and they need to be outside again as quickly as possible. I've got quite a couple of favourites and I used to grow run beans. I haven't grown runner beans for a while. I a few years ago I actually stopped growing runner beans because some people just don't like runner beans. Uh they're strange. <laughs> um and I actually I, I actually grow French beans now. Um and they are exquisite they are delicious and prolific and they will go the entire summer long right into into the autumn you'll be bagging them up and putting them in freezers for use in use in the winter as well yeah that's right and that's exactly what i do with my french beans as well and they are so tasty Mm. i find them a lot easier to eat than runner beans as well because um they're easier to process and that you don't get that sort of stringiness yeah. you get with some runner beans um french beans are just fantastic and also i really like playing like that that game of trying to find all the french beans and you, then you never you, win. You think you no, you think <laughs> that you've got them all and then a massive one will like come out of nowhere <laughs> It's really exciting. It's it's a really fun game. The other benefit of growing beans is that they're one of the easiest seeds to save. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Because it just, just try not to put it in your mouth. <laughs> just put it in a seed packet instead. There's always Done. beans left. There's always beans left at the end of the season. So there's always seeds <laughs> <Exactly>. to save. <laughs> exactly. Just leave leave them on the plant until they get until they get dry and then pop them in a packet. Done. Really, really easy favorites then so what are we growing um what have you grown your favorite this year trying any new ones or um my all-time favorite is probably cobra yes it's a winner um, that is it's a such a good variety isn't it and i'm always 
um amazed by how big some of those <laughs> pods come out as well like you know we, we're approaching a foot long for a french bean which is awesome it's really exciting um and a friend of mine sent me some blue lake beans as well didn't he richard did he <laughs> which friend was that <laughs> that's very nice of him so i haven't tried them before but they're they're in and yeah, fingers well, crossed. I'll, I, let, if let I me, don't like them, I'm going to be blaming you. We'll expand on that because I, I, I'm with Becky on this. Uh, for years, I've grown Cobra. I just thought it's probably one of the best um, uh, French beans to grow. It's prolific. It produces really long um, pods, which do not go stringy or taste or horrible the longer they grow. They, they, they can grow to enormous lengths. Um, and they're prolific, so you get so many of them. And they're really easy to pick um they're consistently good you know i've never had any issues with them they are fantastic cobra and then last year i tried something different i grew blue lake for the first time and this is also an old variety it's been around for a while i just never used it i grew it and i i found it so good i it, there was just something different about it that it was prolific it didn't have huge um beans but who wants huge beans all the time the the, the but i just I just fell in love with the flavour. I just found them to be really tasty. They're tender. They didn't go any stringy. And again, they were just prolific beans. And they're beautiful. They. I also see the differences with some of the, the beans as well. Like these, uh, You'll find that Blue Lick has got these really dark green leaves on them. And I think it looks gorgeous. Oh, I'm excited. I shall report back. And, and I think the other thing that we should say, um, because it's not just climbing beans, um, dwarf beans as well, I really like growing because they're one of those crops that you can pop in slightly later in the year yeah. as well. Yeah. And um, they can just fill a gap. So if I have a, a gap that opens up with some something that's gone to seed or something, some dwarf beans pop them in there and they're really 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 good value because they're small little plants that produce almost more beans than it looks like the plant should be able to hold they're just absolutely fantastic and you can just grab all of the pods in one <laughs> and just get them all off the plant at the same it, time it, really easy <laughs> interestingly as well they, there's some really cracking colors available on on dwarf yeah. beans that are not necessarily available on some of the the climbing beans some yellow ones and purple is purple tp which people may know of, which is a beautiful dwarf growing uh french bean beautiful purple One of my pods yeah um and i know there's quite a few yellow varieties of dwarf varieties that are available as well and like, like you just said they, they're fantastic for almost like getting a catch crop almost because i know that i've i've managed to sow them even as late as july and i'll get a crop before september yeah october well before because all you're waiting for is the frost once you get the frosts are in then they've had it basically but dwarf beans are super quick and you yeah. can get and like you said, the surprising amount of beans on each plant. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's really fa incredible. And what I really like about them is that you can grow them in the understory beneath bigger things as well. So if, if, for example, you've got tomatoes that are getting quite big, you've got maybe a foot or two foot of space be before the first leaves of your tomato plant by, by slightly later in the year. And you can plant some dwarf beans and get get basically two for the price of one on space again yeah. which is really exciting it's good news but spoiler alert um i feel like we should probably say uh if you cook purple potted beans yeah. they do go they go green i was devastated <laughs> so, i was devastated when i first saw that <laughs> you get purple water and green beans <laughs> but they look great in the garden so <laughs> They're still worth growing it. and um, They're definitely worth it, yeah. <laughs> the, the other benefit of growing dwarf varieties, actually, is that if you're in an area where it's quite windy, especially over the summer, you, climbing French beans uh, and any climbing beans are susceptible to, to the winds pulling down those A-frames and um, you find them collapsed off over your allotment paths and stuff. But dwarf beans are perfect because obviously they, they, they're not going to get any wind damage. That's right. And um, I think with, with regards to bean frames um make them as solid as you possibly can um and i think a top tip on that one would be to make a tp shape rather than an a-frame um tp shapes mean that you can harvest the whole way around the circle as well um and they just tend to fight off the wind a little bit better so if you've got 
an area of high wind, a teepee shape works better than an A-frame. Um, but there's loads and loads of videos and stuff like that on YouTube of how to make these sorts of things. So check it out and make sure that they're strong because when they're covered in leaves, they really do act like a sail. <laughs> they really do. I mean, I, I had an A-frame last year and it blew down. <laughs> so so TPs um, this year, Richard? <laughs> well, I, I'm still, I'm still, I'm determined to try and master the the, the strong A-frame. Whether or not that will be achieved this year is another thing. But I should say, actually, I've used I've used TPs as well, and they are absolutely brilliant for the reasons you just said. But another reason to grow using TPs is they take up smaller amount of space. So yeah. beans are another one of those uh, crops that are brilliant if you've only got a small amount of space. You can even grow them in a large pot. They are brilliant. So beans, they're just perfect. Just, just really look out there because there's some fantastic varieties and they're just a wonderful wonderful crop to grow i can't imagine my allotment not having climbing beans on it if i was if i'm completely honest a little bit about May and about this next transitional point in our gardening calendar and it's really exciting but there are still a few little pitfalls that we can come across in May so make sure you've checked when your last frost date is and make sure that you don't plant anything out before it that's tender that could get killed off. Yeah, absolutely. May is a fantastic month. It's, it can be really exciting because once those frosts are passed for, for us, hopefully, um, then you you have this new flexibility. You have this new freedom, and I think it's May's a May's a month to remind ourselves that you can slow down a bit as well. Take your time because we're still in spring. <laughs> That's right. We've still got a really long growing season ahead of us. And it's important that at this month, if there is something that you're finding particularly stressful, just take a note of it and make sure that we can adjust it accordingly so that you know that next year is going to be less stressful and you can learn from anything and make sure that you are really enjoying it to the max and not letting it stress you out. Yeah, and I think we just to reiterate that slowing down and sowing calendar slowing down and sowing in your gardens it gives you opportunities as well as peace of mind and um, reduces the stress so just consider in those in in that light it's good for plants and it's good for people so if you've enjoyed today's episode uh, we would love if you could subscribe and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode bye-bye bye-bye